0: Welcome to RZ Weekly. My name is Ruben Squelter. This is our weekly discussion on the religious Zionist modern Orthodox world in Israel and even around the world. Uh, I'm here with Rabbi Johnny Solomon and this is Mali Brodsky. And uh, we're going to start on a much more somber note than usual. The, the, the world in Israel, the Jewish world, suffered a tremendous shock and loss over the past week with the, with the... Devastating murder of a young woman named Ori Ansbacher. and uh, Molly uh, has a family connection to her. I think one of the things that you realize when you live in Israel, especially, is basically everyone has a family connection to everyone. Because my daughter went to school with her daughter, or someone knows someone in Ezra who went to school with someone, and so uh, we'd like Molly to share with us some thoughts that she has um, about this tremendous, devastating uh, tragedy. Molly.
1: Okay, so yeah, I just felt um, kind of almost a necessity to speak a little bit about Ori and not, you know, not to record this week's podcast without mentioning it because it was such a um, powerfully felt experience, particularly for me and for my family, as R.I. Bolter said, Um, Ori was a classmate of my daughter's um, in Rosh Tareem High School and a good friend of hers. We felt this very, very closely. I've watched my daughter kind of have to deal with this trauma. um, And I've watched her friends have to deal with this trauma. And obviously for me as a mother and as you said, um, just as a member of the Jewish people in Eretz Israel and out of Eretz Israel, it's been a very, very difficult week. So I just wanted to share some of my thoughts about Ori and about my reflections during the week. So first of all, what was, so, um, what was so moving to me was that from the very, very beginning, I mean, we, we already knew um, earlier than the press released it, which again, unfortunately, often happens in Israel because people find out in this country, it's a small country. Um, and the, so we were like in this shock and trauma uh, for a good, I'd say, 12 hours or even longer perhaps until vaya. But what I want to say is that already at the Levaya, there was something that was extremely, extremely moving. The family chose to um, manage this tragedy. This was a very particularly brutal attack and murder, um, and the, the, the you know the 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 response could have gone a lot of ways. And the way the family chose to respond to, to this, the loss of Ori, was to focus completely and totally on Ori, on who she was, um, on her kindness, on her gentleness, on her, on her honesty, on her search for Emmet, um, and to really start doing what I think has been taken up the entire time, the entire process since her death, um, which is to focus on Ori and to spread light in the world. And I think that that was so moving to me watch how how how, how her, Ori's family and the community also her community in Scoa and also her friends really it was very clear to them that that's what they were going to focus on um, the person who Ori was and and the light that she brought to the world and for me the week was a was very much I spent the week in a tremendous amount of appreciation for our Noir. And that's what I really wanted to say in Ori's memory. Because Ori herself was, people kind of kind of, um, uncovered, revealed Ori. They, they kind of got to know her after her death. Um, Shira knew her before. Um, but what they saw was this really wonderful, wonderful young woman who, who her name was so appropriate to her. Again, the things I said before is who she was. She was a person who very much searched for truth. She said that from, from ninth grade. She was always searching for truth, but always with a gentleness, always with kindness, always with an honesty, um, and always with, with pleasantness to everybody who she interacted with. And she really, she, she just brought goodness and light into the world. And the kids, they're not kids, they're young women. They're, they're now 20-year-old young women. 19 or 20, really um, responded in that way. Um, I was so impressed with their almost instinctive knowledge of how to appropriately remember Ori. Um, when we talk about trauma, we, we say that one of the, the best responses to trauma, if trauma triggers the fight, flight, or freeze uh, mechanism, one of the best responses is called tend and befriend, which means Take care of yourself. Take care of others, and kind of join together with for social support. And that's supporting each other. Then get gathering together. They've been singing. They've been. Uh, so that was really very very moving to see how these our youth our Noar responded so beautifully in times of tragedy. And you just you should know, it's not just her. Oh, uh, she was age group her son Yonatan was involved in a. It was an entire evening for the youth of Yakiba that he went to. he's in you know he's 11th, uh, a ninth grade uh, boy in, in, in high school. so it, you know it was just very, very I found that very 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 moving. and then it happened to be this week we not only did, did we have this tragedy but we had two weddings back to back on Sunday night and on Monday night, which obviously was very difficult for me to attend but again I left feeling extremely inspired. By the youth, by the Noah, because the young couples getting married, it was two very different weddings. One was a much more mainstream, traditional, religious Zionist wedding. You know, the boy was from a very um, kind of well-known Hezder Yeshiva, um, you know, it was kind of your typical Dati Lumi crowd. The other was a little bit more unusual, funky, you know, there, you've got that going on in the Dati Lumi world. But what was common to both of the weddings, to me, what was so striking was, was the authenticity and the joy of our Noah and genuine caring for each other. The amount of like, again, I can't think of a better word, but simcha, joy that was felt at these weddings, the amount of connection that they feel for each other, the amount of support that they give to each other. I find it really inspiring. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of conversation in general about the youth in the world and, you know, that, that there's what to talk about. But for me, I, I really, I, I, I come away when I, when I see them. I come away so hopeful. And Again, I'm not such an optimist about the future of the world. I tend to be actually quite a pessimist about the future of the world in terms of a lot of trends that are going on. But here in, in Israel, when I see our Noah when I see our youth, I constantly come out of it. So. You know, I feel like Ori herself is a symbol of that. And, and it's, it's, it's a little hard because as Shira said, Ori was not a person who was looking for um, giant projects in her memory. That's not who she was. Um, but she was a person who spread light in all the little things that she did. And that's kind of what people are trying to do in her memory. So I feel appropriate that she symbolizes the best of our youth because she really does. And that she, she's creating these ripple effects in, in our community, which I also believe affect the larger Israeli community and, and perhaps larger Jewish community, and um, to me that's that's where the light comes from.
0: Okay, um, I have a couple of interesting comments because it it, it resonates to me. I was actually in Kutzarz when it happened, and you know I found out about it from Facebook. But I was in a smaller Jewish community, and what's interesting is like I didn't feel it at all over there. I really I didn't feel it in any way other than people sharing it on Facebook because they're in my feed. Um, you know, it's it's really. I I was speaking at a at a small shul on Sunday morning, and I got up and I felt compelled to mention it. And I was I got immediately I was uh, overcome by emotion in a way that surprised me. And and um, and while some people nodded and knew what I was talking about, others I think just there's a sense in chutzpah that I felt of of course they people care and of course they're moved, but there's a sense of of distance. And, and otherness that you just it's very difficult to feel when it's not your children or your children's friends. It's also what's interesting is like I, I, you know when I drive in the morning I listen to um, you know this radio show called Kalman Lieberman. It's a very popular uh, radio program on Bed in the morning and so I found them, uh, I found they have a feed for podcasts and so what I noticed I was listening to the podcast from Kutzler, right? So I just listened to the radio program and they interviewed her mother which I couldn't listen to or like her aunt I think the day after and a couple of days later they interviewed a grandmother and they were just like, talk about your granddaughter. And it's like, I, what, I, what I realized is how, how personal the country is about things like this. That it's like when a tragedy like this happens, everybody hears the grandmother talk about her and her aunt talk about it. It's like we all said Shiva in a way. And that's something that if you're, if you're here in Israel and you're part of the Israeli, and even, listen, even listen to the press or watch television, you sense it, but in Chutzlis, it's just it's it's you care, but it's in a totally different and totally, I would say, much more detached kind of way. And that that really struck me very strongly. The other thing that I that I that also what you talked about that you know it's it's really so true that our children are so much more exposed to these things. Here it happened to have been uh, to a friend of theirs, and it does happen tragically and you know proportionately to, to so many young people but they're not sheltered in that way. And, uh, you know, I think people in sort of recoil in that that our children are exposed to these things at such a young age. Whereas we, on the other hand, feel like they're engaged and they understand the realities. And uh, it's something that I I think there's, I just feel that there's a disconnect. You know, all three of us are in Eretz Yisrael, we're here in Israel, but it's something that I sense strongly. And, you know, and the people that are listening in Chutzlarets, I'd be curious to know if they, if they feel that disconnect or no, they really felt it in the way that we did, you know, in such a strong way.
2: Johnny? I, I, when you were speaking, I could only think of the word unfiltered, you know, that the way stories such as these, these tragic, painful stories are covered, they're unfiltered. They're unfiltered both uh, at times in terms of some of the details that are revealed by the press, which uh, itself was somewhat problematic in this particular instance. But in terms of the morning too, that you're right, there is a sense that the country sits in mourning, sits shiver with the family. And the more we know of, of this young girl, the more we know of her life, which tragically we, we didn't know until now, and it took a tragedy to know, we want to have uh, that sense of proximity of emotions because we feel a sense of proximity of emotions. So uh, youth, for sure, but also in the entire country, they have this... Uh, an uncurated, unedited uh, response to uncurated, unedited tragedy. Whereas often in other countries, even within the Jewish community, people try and filter information. They try and tidy it up. They try and edit it. They try and make it a little bit more palatable. Uh, Here it's often unpalatable. It's raw. It's painful. That makes it all the more real. Yeah, I would
1: just add one more thing um, about... You know, Israeli society, and certainly the, the um, na- you know, the religious national society, which is that they're trained from a very young, young age. They see themselves as part of community, and they have this expectation of giving and serving to the community. They all know that they're going to be doing either military service or community service, and there's a very strong sense of collective responsibility, and I think that that's also a piece of this. I agree with everything you're saying that I would add that I think that's also part of what I, 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 just, I, I respond to so positively in our youth um, is, is that sense that they have that, that, that I think is part of what helps them kind of it matures them the same way, you know, this exposure to tragedy matures them, but it, it also has a very um, I think positive effect on their, on their character and their development
0: okay i think we're going to cut it off here uh i i i, I thank you very much for that beautiful tribute and uh it, you know it, it it's something that you know just to be inspired by a young woman who you, you just hear about her Uh rob johnny i don't think that it's tragic if we don't know we didn't know her because she she wasn't a public person and she wasn't a public per, you know right. i think we delved into so many, like Molly said, so many of our kids who are serving the army, serving the army, they just do amazing things. And, and we, were, we were privileged in this one instance to get to know this one young woman who's representative of so many other special people, so many other special young people, religious and non-religious, who just give to Am Yisrael. And uh, that should be a, a blessing and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, a cherished way of, of remembering her just that she brought that out in so many people as well. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna uh, do, a, do a, a quick turn to, into a religious Zionist uh, issue or uh, an issue here in Israel, turn away from this tragic topic. Uh, we're gonna turn to a the, the topic that we're gonna talk about more than once over the coming uh, episodes, as we'll call it, which is the issue of Shabbat in, in, Israel in the Israel, Yisrael State of Israel. And the reason why we're discussing this is because of two things that came up recently. I'll give the brief haqdama, a brief introduction, and then I'll ask Rav Johnny to, to take it from there. The first one is the story of what's called the Gesher Yehudit. Gesher Yehudit, I think, is aptly punned and aptly named because it's not named after the Gesher Yehudit, it's not the Jewish bridge, but rather it was named after a woman named Yehudit who was actually a religious woman. It's a bridge that runs over the highway, like in the smack in the middle of Tel Aviv, and they had to shut down a major highway in order to do some construction. So uh, the, the best time to do this, the city of Tel Aviv decided, was to do it on Shabbat because obviously on Shabbat is when there's the least traffic. The government of Israel, the Ministry of Transportation said, no, we're not going to shut down, we're not going to do construction on Shabbat, it's against the, the, the law and unless there's a, a waiver from, I don't know, some minister, I don't know the exact law, but the city of Tel Aviv s- sued, of course, in the Supreme Court because everything goes to the Supreme Court in this country. And for whatever reason, I don't really understand all the political nuances. They have ultimately decided that they did the construction on Shabbat. But what's interesting is a video service that made its way around the Internet of many of the Jewish construction uh, crew making kiddush on Friday night, you know, at the construction site, making Friday night kiddush and having, you know, a little Shabbat at the construction site. And so many people had comments, it's so terrible, the State of Israel. Sort of coercing these people who need the money to do the work on Shabbat, rather than rather than uh, you know shutting down the highway. And it's an interesting uh, question of needs of the public versus versus uh, the need to maintain the sanctity of Shabbat. The second uh, um, episode I would call it that arose was the issue of the Shalva ban. The Shalva is a is a is an institution that deals with special needs for children of all kinds. An incredible institution. That uh, it was constructed really, you know, over the past 25 years and opened in the least la- that last number of years in Eshnaayim, and they had a band, and they this band appeared on the, on the I think what's it called or or I don't know whatever the competition is called, okay. That the competition in order to get into Eurovision, you going to get into the Eurovision contest, and these kids kept going moving forward, you know, they sang you know, here comes the sun and beautiful songs and it made its way again around the internet, but ultimately it turned out that the, they couldn't compete to make it into Eurovision because they refused to participate in the, in the final practice that was gonna be on Shabbat before the Eurovision contest. So they ultimately bowed out of the contest because Eurovision wouldn't accommodate their need for Shabbat. And again, the whole issue came up. How could it be that in the State of Israel, we're gonna have this competition in the State of Israel, but who of Shabbat can't compete. This All of this raised in the specter, and there's another issue. John will talk about transportation in Tiberia. Uh, which raises the issue of the, the, the desire to, on the one hand, have a, have a state that's a Jewish state, that represents Jewish values, a state that, that values the, the idea or the notion of Shemir Shabbat, but on the other hand, you know, what about the needs of the large public who is not Shemir Shabbat? Is it fair to say to the public of Tel Aviv, you know, you're going to have to suffer a major traffic jam on Monday or Tuesday or what have you, simply because uh, because we want to maintain the value of Shabbat, when most of the people would prefer, you know, not to force workers, but if people want to make overtime, let them work on Shabbat. Rav Johnny, I'll let
2: you start. Well, we have here a really interesting, uh, and yet I'd, I'd actually say, frustrating context, because uh, the state is 70 years young and 70 years old, and Shabbat has been a point of disagreement and... and uh, And confusion politically throughout its history. As we know, those who established the state uh, were quite unclear in terms of the religious nature of the Jewishness of the state. And there have been people who've tried to lobby politically to have more religious flavor within the state ruled uh, uh, infrastructure. And there have been others who've lobbied to the contrary. Now, throughout those decades, (coughs) there have been Hafghanot. Demonstrations for Shabbat. There have been cinemas opened and malls opened and and campaigns one way or another. And here we find ourselves seventy years into the state, and we have and I, I would agree, uh, sorry I would argue a uh, a significant change in precedent, where in Tivaria and and a recently appointed mayor called Ron Kobi has enabled transportation under his. Um, Jurisdiction to run in the holy city of Tiberias, and where the Labour Party are trying to enable, if not fund, public transportation in a variety of cities across the country. Now, previously, there were lobby groups who have wished and who have enabled private buses running in particular cities. But in Tiberia, where the mayor is involved, and other cities where political parties are involved, I think we're seeing a shift in the status quo. And the question is what to do. Now, of course, uh, the claim is Hadatah. Any people who try and oppose these types of moves are trying to force religion onto their country. Obviously, there are those who wish to force a more secular flavor onto the country, or at the very least. Services enable uh, those many Jews, who unfortunately aren't Shabbat observant, to be able to travel with comfort and the way they do six other days of the year, of the week, sorry. Nonetheless, the way I see it is that a lot of mistakes have been done in previous decades. How we've handled Shabbat and how Shabbat has been addressed in so many other battles has led to a bitterness. And that bitterness has meant that people like uh, the mayor in Tiveria and people like the leaders of of the Labour Party have now come to a, a realization that now is a time in the month leading up to the election to push that line and to change that status quo. And as a religious Zionist Jew, while I'm very cognizant of the need for services, I'm also cognizant of the value and beauty of Shabbat. And to lose Shabbat in the public square is to lose so much of what makes Israel special. So I'm saddened by these changes. Uh, Nonetheless, I recognize that we need to find alternatives And I'm also proud of individuals such as Omer Adam and the Shalva band, who've spoken up through their actions and demonstrated that yes, at times you have to sacrifice for the sake of Shabbat. However, until then, there haven't been that many people who acted in that way, and I think that's part of the narrative that we're trying to explore.
1: Um, I very much agree with what Johnny was saying, or Rabbi Solomon, Rabbi Johnny was. i i i would say it like this i first of all, when I try very hard to look at the glass half full when you talk about like the Gesher Yehudit um you know I'd like to, to look at it and see instead of saying uh, you know i don't know starting from saying it, look how wonderful it is that people are making Kiddush on the bridge right that in itself is a Kiddush Hashem. i i agree i agree with Ravjani that. the breaking of the status quo disturbs me, um, especially when it comes with like a certain activist agenda. At the same time, in general, my approach to these issues is I would like to find solutions that um, reflect some kind of awareness that some kind of consensus, which again, you're never gonna find full consensus, but there have been movements within um, Israeli society to find ways of, let's say, maintaining the the um, the, the Jewish flavor of Shabbat, the, the, the concept of a day off day of rest, while not impeding on people's, um, you know, in a way that's too hard for people who are non-Sabbath observant. So, for example, Rav Yaakov Maidan and Ruth Gabizan if I recall correctly, put together a... Um, an entire suggestion, a platform for how this could be done, and again, I don't, I don't know all the details. I'm remembering it pretty roughly. The idea was things like um, cultural institutions would be open, um, whereas workspaces would remain closed, and that way you maintain this the day of rest and the, the, the flavor of Shabbat for the public, but you also um, don't create this kind of bitterness about 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 you know what 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 was referred to as or or religious coercion, which often backfires on us. Um, So in general, I I prefer that approach um, because in the end, ultimately, like we're not, that's to me, that's the winning approach in general. Like we, we, I, I, not, notwithstanding that I very much agree that like status quo should be preserved and that, and that um, it's not, a simple issue for me. And it's not like I'm saying, oh, it's very obvious to me that we should just, you know, allow violation of Shabbat in all cases that it's desired. It's not not that simple. But I do believe that ultimately our success long-term will come with a national consensus that is chosen out of a desire to preserve the value of Shabbat, which I think the majority of the country has to some degree or other. And I would rather... And, and when we think about ourselves as the religious Zionist community, I would rather we lead by example you know, over hearts. And to me, that's where the Shalva band comes in, because if anybody hasn't seen them, I would advise you know, finding them, because I, I, they start singing and I start crying. That's how it works with, with, uh, with the Shalva band. And just because it's very moving, it happens to be extremely moving. Their message is, ex- is, is wonderful. You have disabilities, um, people with all different types of issues that they're dealing with. There also happened to be Dati, Chiloni. Just today I happened to have watched, which I hadn't watched before, their final interview where they said that they made the decision, not not all of them are Shomer Shabbat, not all of them are Sabbath observant in the group, but they made the decision to withdraw because they decided to stay together as a group and to respect the, the, the values of, of, of all of their members. And that to me was so, so moving. And I think that they really created such a really fidush Hashem, what, what they did. And again, they were really talented. It wasn't just like, oh, this is so sweet. This is such a nice gimmick. They were, they were actually super talented. Like they won, not just because, you know, they were moving. They won because they were really good.
0: Okay, when it comes to the issue of, of Shabbat in Israel, there's a couple of things. I mean, this is obviously a very loaded topic with an incredibly long amount of history. But I, I want to bring up a few, a few important points. The first point that I'd like to bring up is the idea that, of this, that talk called religious coercion. In my reading, uh, I think in, in any honest reading of Torah sources, it's hard to argue, hard to argue that the, the, the Torah does not believe in religious coercion. It's hard to argue that it does not. Meaning, I believe that the Torah clearly does believe in religious coercion. You know, even from the very beginning of the, the, the fact that there are, that there is a a beitin, and the beitin is obligated in in requiring people to keep Shabbat, even with the most serious punishments of, you know, there's a capital punishment, there's capital punishment in the Torah for chilul Shabbat, and this is brought down in the Gemara and the Mishnah, and all the way down. So I am obviously not advocating that in any way. I don't think that we live in that time. But nonetheless, the idea of the religious coercion being like, you know, being such a terrible thing, I think that we in the religious Zionist community have a little bit gone too far to being so accepting and so open and not understanding. Like, you know, I think about it this way. You know, if I could ask, what would you rather have? Would you rather have more people keeping Shabbat, even though they're forced to, or, or like the whole people not keeping Shabbat because they, uh, because they don't really relate to it and they choose not to? You know, I, I think my understanding of reading classical sources is that Yuban wants Am Yisrael to keep Shabbat. He'd love everybody to do it out of free will but he's happy to people doing it out of coercion because that's the nature of the system. Some people want to, other people don't. You know, I have a whole mahalik on the idea of coercion in general. We don't generally ask our children what they want to do when they're children. We we raise them in a system and we force them to do things and hopefully they'll decide to do what we want later on. That's another issue entirely. But uh, the idea that, oh, we only want people to do it only if they want to do it, I don't think that that's true. I don't think that that's true as a religious person, and I don't even think that's true as a you know in in governments. You know, plenty of people believe in coercion. Plenty of liberal people believe in coercion as long as you're coercing their own liberal values. You know, they they have no you know, people in around the world. have no problem going to the Supreme Court and insisting that you give people all the rights that they want. That you, that, you, that you accede to the, the demands of society, even in areas that are against your religious views. And they don't have a problem coercing you to do it because it's impending it's on other people's freedom or on general societal values. So I personally believe that Israel has not only a right, but as a Jewish state, an obligation to be a, 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 a Shabbat-observing, whatever you want to say that, a Shabbat-observing society. And, uh, and, and even if that is impinging on the rights of people who they want to go on vacation or they want to go to the beach, that's true. But there are other religious values as well. And as a, as a religious person, as a Torah-believing person, I believe that the Torah wants, that a Kaddosh wants me, if I can, to have as many people in as much of Israeli society or Jewish society even possible, keep Shabbat. That's my, my two cents on, on, on that particular issue
2: one second but when you when you say coercion are you talking about society or or the system i mean the notion that you can somehow force a person to do anything notwithstanding the the uh, positive aspiration and, and the spiritual gain of fulfilling mitzvah observance. I mean, there's a dynamic between human behavior and rabbinic coercion in the, in the time of the Mishnah. It's quite clear that capital punishment ended when people basically went along and did their own thing. We no, need to,
0: uh, capital punishment. You can put them in kheirem. Or, as a, as a local society, I can, I can impose a fine. I can fine them. I can say okay. there's a class for opening on Shabbat, which which we do as a society.
2: Okay, yeah, but we, again, you can't say it's talking about the society. You can talk about the, the, uh, the system. You can about the uh, governmental system requiring uh, Shabbat respect within those institutions. You no,
0: I don't, not, I don't care if you respect House. Shabbat. I don't care if you respect Shabbat. I care that you keep the law. I okay, care no, that can I just,
1: law. Uh, just jump in here? Because I have a, a similar kind of response to Johnny's, which is, um i'm not quite, i remember when i started you start learning you know mishnah and gemara and you start getting a picture of what things were like actually when we did have a sanhedrin or when we did have a rabbinic authority and it's very clear that not everybody that's why you have this this you know dichotomy between Chaverim and ame you're creating um ruby a very um black and white picture where everybody is is you know keeping mitzvot or nobody's keeping mitzvot and we're and like we want everybody to keep mitzvot so we're going to force them to that does not seem to be me to be the model that even when we were here you know living under some type of rabbinic authority to some degree that doesn't seem to be what was happening what did
0: that it's true i'm not I, there are two things you were, were asking i didn't say whether they did it or not i asked no, you what i guess what the right. ideal would be. Right. So what I'm saying change. is, there's a so real... I, I just want to ask a very simple question. What if wait, your wait, neighbor, wait. your neighbor in alone Shruth decided, I no longer want to be Shomer Shabbat. But not, uh, not only so, I want the gate to be open so I can drive. And mm. I also, and I also want to m- mow my lawn and blast my music. And who are you to tell me what to do? Okay, so,
1: I, so what I, I, I want to say I, is I, that I think... If, the people in Alon Shruth we be up in arms.
0: One and second. And they would
1: yeah. Okay, so I, I think like we have to go step by step. First of all, again, I think you're creating too black and white a picture. And you're right that we can't be clear about whether what Chazal were doing was prescriptive, prescriptive or descriptive. But I remember that for me, it was kind of an aha moment when I recognized that what Chazal were doing was recognizing the reality of human nature. And I said to myself, I wonder if the truth is and you know maybe this is maybe ruby this is you know like a heresy but the truth is that it's we can't expect the entire nation to be 100% um, you know with the rabbinic establishment they're not all going to be prussian let's say right so what we want is the majority of the country to affiliate and to respect the religious establishment and to believe that when we engage in religious practice those are our authorities and that I, on a spectrum of religious affiliation and identification, people fall somewhere along that spectrum. And maybe that's the best that we can strive for. And again, we're not going to win by coercing through law. They're going to, what we're going no, what, to do is be wait, 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 very clear see, about our laws win, and, and, and quote win unquote, in terms of, uh, like win over. Of, there's no winning or losing. There's a, there's okay. a, it, it, it's society no, but there is winning. Or, I think there is winning or losing because I, I remember I w- I exactly this machloku between my Haredi cousin and my uncle. And my Haredi cousin, my uncle said, how can you throw rocks on Shabbos? Don't you realize that you're, um, you know, just turning people off and you're creating a, a national disaster in this country? And my Haredi cousin said, I follow a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Kodesh Baruch Hu tells me there shouldn't be a Shabbos. The shikulim of like, what that means in terms of societal realities, that's not my cheshbon. My cheshbon between me and a Kodesh Baruch Hu, he told me i was supposed to enforce Shabbos laws. And that's basically what you're saying. And I remember at the time thinking like, that's not what, I don't agree. I don't think that. Wait,
0: I, 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 that, I would say I'm a little surprised that you would conflate what I'm saying, i.e. using the power of the state to enforce Shabbat with me throwing rocks at Haredim on Shabbat. Obviously,
1: I'm just saying. No, the idea, that's, exactly okay,
0: the difference between, that's exactly the difference. The difference is okay. I am the mayor of Yad Bin Yamin and my residents want Shemirat Shabbat and therefore but i'm going to do what the most residents want plus to be so we're going to close the gate okay if but i was, if I was the mayor
1: of New Shaline. Maybe, maybe it's my job to to i influence. believe that what you need really to do what you're doing you need consensus I don't know what the consensus has to be. Does it have to be 51% of this of the community? Does it have to be 60%? What how much buy-in do you need? But I think you need a certain degree of buy-in. At this point, the religious community in this country, if you include that tilumi and charedi, if I remember correctly, is around 20% of the country. So now admasorati, right? So you're gonna you're so but like, I, I don't think that's enough to say that we have the buy-in to now kind of um we have a certain amount of buy in, and I think that there's consensus around certain things. And I think there are certain laws and certain rules and certain unwritten laws and rules that are part of our national religious character. And I think that's really important. But I think we have to be very careful when we start thinking about imposing rules and laws, because if you don't have buy in, what you end up with is backlash. And, and then you end up with negativity, which is where you end up where, again, I don't think we're as bad as we were. There were times, you know, when I made Aliyah in the early 90s. Um, it, it, you know, those were really bad years of, of, of a lot of animosity between secular and religious for a lot of reasons. Also political, the, um, I'd say the very, very anti is shrinking, even though there's still a strong proportion. And I think there's like a lot of neutral. I think there's a lot of positive. And I think the spectrum is actually shifting in our, in favor of my beliefs. Um, but, but- I, I, I still believe that, that what you the reason that, that, that the anti becomes stronger is when they feel coerced through politics.
0: Now, how do you know? Maybe the reason the anti are growing less is because they've just gotten used to it because they've been coerced. Yes, no, I, mean, I don't you know, think it's
1: so. You have I no think, idea. I think we see that's, why the left why they're, 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 going, they're, besides,
0: going, they're going... Besides, they're besides, I have a Kodesh Baruch on my side. Does God want us to keep Shabbat or not?
1: God wants us to want to keep Shabbat. Who I don't, don't know if Where do you get that, that from? It doesn't say in the Torah... The Torah but, says, know. right? I'm putting before you, Hatov, behara. Choose the right way. It doesn't Wait, say- Wait, the,
0: the Torah says, Zachor at Yom HaShabbat, Shamor at Yom HaShabbat. It does yes. not say, Zachor at Yom HaShabbat, Miratzon mi Ahabah. It doesn't- well, no I'd like to interject
1: here. One it's pretty black and white, and I don't think it's quite as black and white, especially, I'm sorry, John, i just finish one more sentence. Oh. Especially with the complexity of our of the reality um, that was created in the state of Israel. Again, like like it's really complicated to, to just go back to like the Torah says X is way too reductionist. All right, sorry. I,
2: I, I think, I, I, think I, I, you, what, I, I just want to respond and say, I think we framed this slightly wrong because what we're using religious institutions and religious rules and religious laws, what we have here is at least the way we're portraying it, a battle of values between freedom and religion, but that's not the case. Mediana Israel is a Jewish state, and everybody who is proud of living in Mediana Israel recognizing recognises there is a Jewish quality to it. Now, the question really is how Jewish is Shabbat, or shall we say it differently? While I may view Shabbat as a religious entity, is there a Jewish quality of Shabbat which may not be exclusively religious and yet which should be supported and encouraged if not enforced by the state? Now, we know that the numbers of, of uh, Jews in Israel who observe Pesach is pretty high. How come there is a decline in the number of people who wish to observe Shabbat? There are a whole bunch of reasons. But I think that what we've done is we've overly religiousified, if you could call it that, Shabbat. And yet there's a certain Jewish quality of Shabbat which has been lost. Or perhaps a temptation of not observing aspects of Shabbat is too great for too many people and those who perhaps 30, 40 years ago would have done a lot more in terms of their Kavot Shabbat are now doing less. Oh, the question isn't, do religious people want but, 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 but I don't know if that's true.
1: true. I have, I have but, no idea but, if that's true. Again, I was I remember my uncle saying, the same uncle, the minute you make, right at this point, 99% of the country has a Seder. 99% of the country has a mezuzah. Um, and, and Brit Milah, but Brit Milah is maybe a little bit different because there actually are people stopping to do it. What he always said is, if you make a law, you must put a mezuzah on your home and you must make a, a seder on Lel HaPesach, the numbers will decrease. Wait, wait, I, don't wait, think
0: wait, a wait a I agree with you. Why would I make a law? I've got 99%. But on the other hand, if I made a if I removed the Shabbat law and I said anybody could open, you'd think that more people would close on Shabbat or open on Shabbat? You think there'd be more Chilul Shabbat
1: or less Chilul Shabbat? The question is what other, What I think Johnny's right, what price will you pay in terms of people's comfort identifying with things that the shabbat laws With more people go national to it, character jewish by the way a new book just came out called i forgot the name of it but something like a Israeli maybe it was it was about looking at the, the the character of israel and what it discovered was that israel is creating this new thing which is exactly what ravjani is talking about which is that the majority of jews um identify themselves as also Jewish, and also Israeli, and some type of a hybrid, not either or, and it has to do exactly with, I think, what what Rajani said very, very well, which is that they're not, I'm not saying that religion isn't mixed in, but it's about the national identification, the Jewish character, rather than the classical religious orthodox, um, you know, how we, what we would think of as, let's say, halakha. And I think that's, there's something very beautiful about that, and I think it's actually, um, a very positive development, and it's probably more more what, what life was like here um, in Beit Rishon and Beit Sheani. You know, I can't tell you what was happening before that, but but that's pr- again, I would say that there's something more I holistic
0: about. But, in the air. I don't think you throw Beit Rishon say, in the air. Who I knows know.
1: what's going on in Beit Rishon? I'm just saying I mean, the idea I don't of know identifying Cheney. as a nation I, and I don't not even know as a about is I mean, really. But
0: I, well, what I strive for is an Israeli identity. Where a person sees his Israeli identity as Shomer halacha or Shomer yahadut, or whatever you want to say. But right, that's is very
1: big difference. Shomer halacha and Shomer yahadut are different. And it's I'm i on the
0: Shomer halacha spectrum. Shomer yahadut is like, forget, I don't know what halacha, I rabbanan. I'm not talking about that. But everyone agrees that there's something called Shabbat. They celebrate Shabbat. They acknowledge Shabbat. And Shabbat is part of their character. Shmirat Shabbat, whatever level you want to say. But that that's Jewish identity to me. Fine, I, I, I understand. It. I understand that. that. I because think that needs to come I, first. I, I, then but, you but can do laws, um, just yeah, like you Well, we have laws. We have laws that say you can't open your store on Shabbat. You think we should remove them because we want everybody to embrace it? You think that would be better for Jewish I society? I did
1: say that approach is, you know, changing the status quo. That goes back to
0: you know, the status See, I, quo I, 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 like, I, People are not familiar with this. If you're not familiar with Israeli society, the word status quo is like Yarig Val Yavor. It's really like the most important <laughs> words of Israeli society. And I, I think that that's ridiculous. Just because we do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do And because they decided in 1948 or 47. To me, it's not really meaningful. I'm asking you. you you're you in 1947. Yes, laws about closing stores
1: on Shabbat. Yes, laws that people shouldn't work on Shabbat or no? What I'm saying is those laws... I no, I can't. It's not a black and white question. The laws, there should be laws, but those laws should become come about through consensus and conversation so that the laws are not going to feel... Uh, they're not going to c- cause anti-religious and anti-halachic sentiment. But, but at the same time, you're not going to... Wait, 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 wait. At the same time, you're not... always going to be an extreme, right? There's, there's a rule. It's called the ten eighty ten 10 rule that I learned first from Rabbi Menachem Tech. He says, you've got 10 people, let's say, at the top leadership. You've got 10 people at the bottom, and you've got the 80 in the middle. The 80 in the middle are going to identify with whichever you know, let's, let's call top or bottom because I don't want to assign value. You know, two extremes at the two ends of the spectrum. The 80 in the middle are going to usually just go to whichever 10 on either side is going to be more appealing to them, right? That's how, that's why he says, you know, Am Yisrael, before Cheda Egel, Mocha and Aaron were there, then they disappeared, the air of rap pulled them in the opposite direction. And I think it's a very correct, um, you know, if rough, way of thinking about sociological reality so if we're going to say that we want to move and again maybe 1080 10, 10 is too broad maybe it's 60 12 however you want to do the numbers but we as the 10 are not going to succeed um, unless we have the 80 on our side and you're right there will always be the 10 on the other side talking about how like you know religion is awful and the devil and the opiate of the masses and needs to be destroyed okay so, so, so the that
0: quote marks all you have to do, you have to do you're fighting against Fortnite. You're not fighting a okay. fair
1: fight. You're not going to win fort- against Fortnite by making um, laws that people find restrictive. You're going to win against Fortnite by having a Shabbos project. Uh, you know I, I, I yeah. think
0: you'll win, you'll win against Fortnite by having both. But if, if Fortnite was not available, and there was a Shabbos project, then you would win. But you could have all the Shabbos projects in the world, but if people aren't coming to shul, never, they'll never know about it.
1: They're not going to show because you made a law.
0: Okay, so then in 1948, you would have said, forget this, The no status quo. I'm against laws.
1: I'm against religious that's not because status quo reflects, for me, what is the Hawaii of the nation? What is the feeling of that 80? That's yeah, but true. all you're
0: saying is that but the Hawaii of the nation, that's what it
1: was then. Why should I care what the Hawaii of the nation is? That's like, a different 70? conversation about status quo. I agree with you that status quo is a very simplistic and, and imperfect way to continue figuring out what to do. So i um, now
0: you have Molly, Molly Broski, 2019, Tapsh and I Tet. You could rewrite the laws. It's not the Meidan Gavinson, it's Brodsky, I'm Amanat Broski. So <laughs> I will do
1: it the same way that Gavinson Go, that and, and, and Raphael did it. I will briefly
0: research. Would you think you would reach a sense. The reason why Meidan Gavinson yeah, is something that only us geeks have heard about is because heard? everybody like immediately ripped it to shreds. What I know, you know, that's very sad you to know. me.
1: That's very sad to me, but I but that for me that's what I would be going for. I by the way I do it's not like I don't have an inkling of sympathy in my heart that says like, you know like you know don't be the friar, you don't be like don't you know be the one who makes the laws because that's what that's how, that's going to make things happen. I, it's not that I'm not insensitive or unsympathetic to the things that you're saying. I'm just saying that my stronger intuition is that to build a healthy and successful society, we should put most of our energies on being that 10 that's gonna pull the 80 to 1. So
0: I just would like to go back to my last question I asked you. Your neighbor in Alon Shwut decides that they no longer want to be some more Shabbat and they're mowing the lawn there, what have you. What's your response? Is your okay, response,
2: so here's my
1: oh, answer.
0: I think that's a wonderful thing. Let's just invite them over for Shabbat and we can- Okay Ruby, I will
1: give you a very concrete answer to that question. You don't think we have those types of issues in Alon Shwut? I don't you know maybe I shouldn't kind of reveal Alone Shvut issues, but you don't think we have theoretically, let's say <laughs> Children who are not Shomer Shabbat who want to come visit their parents who are Shomer Shabbat um, and they want to drive into the Yeshuv and Shabbat. Theoretically, you don't think the, the Yeshuv had to grapple with that? So what okay, do wait. you do? Wait, so what's the answer? You, you. What you do is you find a consensus that is imperfect, but works well enough for everybody. Let's say, like, theoretically, um, you... Park outside the gate and you walk into the yeshuv and therefore you are respecting the national the general character of the yeshuv, which has h- decided as a consensus that they would like to remain religious, but you're also not forcing people to sleep over for twenty-four hours or not visit their parents, right? You find a way uh, to make I think that right but one wait,
0: second. Your solution is total religious coercion. You basically said, I get what I wait, want. But I want and to add what outside and walk in the cold in the rain.
1: Okay, but because that's, that's called compromise. I'm not saying you have to, you know, let one side have everything that they want, the other side have everything that they want. That's where the status quo comes in. Because we as a group, as a consensus, the majority of the issue has decided, we are Shamir Shabbat. The people so who decided imposing, otherwise- You
0: believe imposing your will on the minority. What? Well, you could argue the same with
1: the state. Has decided that's what they want. That's what I'm trying to say. Lone's has a homogeneous community that has decided we would like to preserve at the consensus our character, and therefore the minority of you who do not want to preserve our character, we are going to, you know, not coerce you completely, but we are going to impose certain restrictions on you, because you have to respect our um, religious beliefs as well. So I, I, I'm glad
0: I made my point. I feel I made my point pretty well. Okay.
1: <laughs> Johnny, I feel
0: like we, we haven't given you a chance to say anything. Yeah, Johnny, you have to give you a right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <This> <laughs> ultimately, you know, point. using that logic ultimately then the state uh, wins, or, or shall we say then the secular majority of the state wins. You know, status quo isn't just about numbers. Status quo is about values. The foundation of this country is a set of values uh, rested on the heritage of a people. And though some people perhaps don't necessarily appreciate those values, and some people have been turned off by those values, the question is, who is the advocate for those values in a country whose population is rapidly changing? What we lack isn't necessarily laws, and isn't necessarily majority, because if it's to, to majority, then Shabbat is going to be slipping further and further out of public space. It's role models. You see, places like Alon shabbat may well work because of numbers, but they also work because there are people who you look up to and say, I may not observe Shabbat, but those people who do are people who I value, are people who I respect. What we've lacked uh, as a society, and specifically the religious Zionist world, is sufficient numbers of those, when people say, look at that person, they say, I may not be like them, but boy, do I respect them. You know, read the stories of Ariel, Levine, those famous stories about how he walked around those handful of shops that still remained open in your Shalim on Shabbat. And through his personality and his inspiration, things rapidly changed. The most important thing a religious Jew can do isn't necessarily, you know, harden down on the law or necessarily talk about how aggrieved they are about the changes that are taking place, however much it may sadden them, but instead express through their behavior and through their education, uh, through the education they give actively and subliminally. The example that Ari Levine did so many decades ago, because that's what lifts hearts and changes minds.
0: Okay, I would like to make one final point, point. I of course agree that we need to be an example. And I of course agree that we, we need to we need to want have people want to do it and to reach out and to create the Shabbat project and all of the wonderful things that, that I agree that, that are that are there. I just feel sometimes as in our community, in our modern Orthodox slash religious Zionist community, our desire to, to, to uh, you know, be loved by everyone, have everyone come to it from a, from a, from a position of, of yearning and desire, which is obviously ideal. We forget that in addition to the carrot, the Torah also has a stick. And there's, that, it come, that I think both work together. And all of us as parents know this intuitively, you reward and you punish, and without the, 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 any sense of coercion at all, I think it's impossible to expect people to come to it. I think that it has to be a combination of both. And I think that if we abandon it entirely, Israel would be just an, an entirely Western society devoid of any Jewish value. Because that, that's the nature of Western society today. And I personally am glad that there is an anchor of Haredim that, that are pushing. And I sometimes resent my leadership for not joining in with them because it reflects some of my values as well. And I think that there's struggle going on in our religious audience community precisely about that issue. Said my point, I'm gonna, I'll stop.
1: Okay, <laughs> I would just wanna add one more thing to the conversation that we had before because we uh, we were talking a lot about freedom from religion and hadata, and in our conversation about the bridge, I think we forgot to emphasize another point, which is, and maybe Ruby, this is you know, similar, but I, I don't agree with you, but I, I this I think is kind of in a similar vein, which is that, we can't forget about freedom too, right? It's not just that we we're, we shouldn't coerce religion onto people who don't want it. We should be enabling people who would like to be religious to be to to um to be remain free to have religious freedom. Um, that sometimes gets lost in the conversation because this country there's so much you know hysteria about being forced. So again, Rav Medan had this piece about the, the gesher, and he said, and again, true or not true, I don't know in terms of the facts, but his point was well taken which is what about the worker he by the way first of all said which is probably which i didn't realize he said they could have done that work in the middle of the night they didn't have to do it on shabbos and that i thought was a really important point oh i totally um, agree I absolutely totally, uh, that's totally. actually an important point to make and the second point was what about the worker who doesn't want to work um and would rather be home but he he's a he, he and as he said the worker on the bridge probably not from the what he called he called the top you know one uh, percent of israeli society making so much money that he can afford to not come in for a day of work. And by forcing him to come in on Shabbat, you're, you're, again, you're not forcing him. And I know, Ruby, that you believe that perhaps they're being paid overtime, whatever it is, but you're creating a socioeconomic reality where you're making it difficult for people to to observe their religion the way they want to. And there was actually, in terms of the Eurovision conversation, I'm not sure I agree, but Rabbi Shlomo Brody wrote a piece about this, and he said that he found it an affront to religious liberty that 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 in a jewish state there was just an immediate assumption that like originally they were going to have the eurovision in jerusalem they said we can't because we know that eurovision by definition um
2: is a violation
1: of shabbat so we're going to move to tel aviv and then what ended up happening was that Omar Adam, um, who was a, was a well-known star, said, well, I can't participate because part of it is violation of Shabbat. And then, as we said, Shabbat can't participate. And he said, why can't a religious state say, you're coming, we're your host country, we are Sabbath observant, we need to figure out a way to make this work, so, to enable our Sabbath observant um, constituents to be part of this experience. Now, I don't know whether I agree with him just because of because, um, the nature of Eurovision. <laughs> Eurovision. Uh, that's something else about How valuable Eurovision is, I, it's so amazing that we're part of Eurovision, okay, but the larger point is well taken. Like, let's not forget to also um, preserve people's religious liberty and not only talk about preserving people's liberty to, um, to not be coerced into religion.
0: I agree with you, Molly. And then I guess maybe we'll eventually decide to stop this. The only other thing I would add is that we value the things we sacrifice for. And I, don't, I, I, I believe that these people were not coerced. I believe that there was significant financial incentive. Let's say they were, they were offered triple overtime. Right. If you were offered triple overtime or I were offered triple overtime, I would say that's all very nice and good. I am Shemesh Shabbat. I remember stories of my grandfather telling me I am who I am because my grandfather, you know, went to Brooklyn in the 1920s and he would not work on Shabbat. He lost his job week after week after week after week until one day finally some store owner came and showed up on a Sunday and said, you can continue to work for me.
1: And that's why and, I am who I am today. And that's
2: beautiful and, and for you, who, and I agree with you, and I have that, and I
1: admire those people. But what about the majority of America who who lost their religion because they, they didn't make that choice, and they, that's they why-
0: They religion because they would not have been Shomer Shabbat even if they didn't have to. I'm
1: not sure. I think that 80 came right. over on the boat, and the grandfather was religious, but then the son was not because the son had to, or the grandfather decided they had to work on Shabbat, and there were no religious day schools. And again, I don't know what number it is. And, I, you know, Ravjani, I I wasn't saying that it should be about numbers. I was making your point actually, which is that <laughs> I have a lot of chemla for, the, for, for, for your regular Joe. John, I agree with you, Ruby. You know, your grandfather, those are our role models. Those are the role models. No, but- I'm,
0: not, I'm not saying, I agree with you. I'm not saying that I, I, first of all, so then we're all in agreement that the state should enforce and allow people to, to have the right to keep Shabbat. And I totally agree with that point. You know, you mentioned before the idea of the makolot, the, the, the makolot in Tel Aviv. That if if AMPM opens in Tel Aviv, and there's a whole other sugya. You know, then that forces the baalim makolot into a into a difficult position. I'm totally sympathetic to that, but let's not forget that the idea of sacrifice and hardship is something that creates that sense of value and love. And that when it comes for free, and when it comes without any cost, then you don't then you value it less. Uh, that's a, just a point I'd like to make well, know, There is you There is truth to that. Okay. I think we'll wrap it up here. As I said, on this issue of Shabbat, I'm sure we'll come back to it. There's much more to say. Um, um, I want to thank uh, Molly Brodsky. I want to thank Rabbi Johnny Solomon. Uh, we apologize. We skipped a week. Hopefully uh, that won't happen in the near future because it's RZ Weekly, and we'll find a way to work around that in all of our busy schedules. I want to thank you for your for your time and thank the listeners. If you have comments or questions, you want to reach us on email. There's also a Facebook page, and you can search for it, an RZ Weekly Facebook page. And as we conclude, I want to thank Patash uh, Leskota for our intro and outro music. Have a great week, everybody. Thank
2: you. You're